Greetings, Trinity family. Welcome to our Good Friday service, and we hope that your hearts have been encouraged as you read scripture and as you prayed together and as you sang. Hope that your hearts were encouraged in Christ. And as we come to the word, we hope that encouragement continues on. If you have your Bible and you're already turned to Mark chapter 15, then we're going to consider verses 33 through 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachia, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, truly, this man was the son of God. Let's pray. God, as we consider this, your word, we pray that it would find a home in our hearts. We do and ask that you would help us to look upon the cross through faith, trusting that the king on the cross in our place brings about our redemption. And may that encourage our hearts all the more as we consider that together tonight. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible has several ways to describe Jesus as king. Phrases like son of man and son of God speak to Jesus' authority over everything, his kingship. Earlier in Mark's gospel account, he spoke of the mission of the king, what the king came to do. And in Mark 10.45, here's how Jesus describes his mission. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Good Friday is where we see that ransom paid. King Jesus served in the way of suffering and death, but in doing so brought life and salvation. And my hope for us tonight is that our hearts considering these truths, would rest assured in our King, in King Jesus. That our hearts would rest in King Jesus, knowing that at the cross he secures our salvation. In a world of uncertainties, we can look to the cross and be assured. In the death of the King, we have life. And this is a serious endeavor, the cross. The thing that we remember and rest in and rejoice over on Good Friday and on all the Fridays. This is a serious matter. And the seriousness of Good Friday, the seriousness of the cross is evident in our passage that we're considering tonight. There are three things 
that draw our attention to the seriousness, the weightiness of what is happening on the cross. I want us to consider those together, to consider the seriousness of Good Friday together so that we can also feel the soaring and bursting forth joy and life of what Good Friday brings. We need both. We need the seriousness and the joy of the cross. So what do we see here in the seriousness of Good Friday, the seriousness of the king going to the cross, the death of the king? Well, we see it in three ways. One, we see it in darkness. Darkness is used to convey to us the seriousness of what is going on. Secondly, we see it in the word forsaken. The experience that Jesus endures in our place. And then thirdly, we see it ultimately in death. In death. Darkness, forsaken, death. The seriousness of Good Friday. Let's consider those together. Darkness. Darkness is used in the Bible often. And when it is used, it is used to convey judgment. God's judgment. And as we saw in our passage, darkness was over the whole land from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. For us, that would be from noon to three. It was dark. Noon to three. Kids who are sitting in your living rooms with your family, think about it being dark at lunchtime. For three hours, darkness is over the whole land. Not only was darkness over the whole land from noon to three, but Jesus was on a cross from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. On a cross, after having been beaten to almost the point of death, he then hung on a cross, and then it was dark. As I said in the Bible, darkness is most often equated with God's judgment, God's judgment for sin. Holy and righteous and true God Judges sin as what it is. And darkness conveys to us the picture of how serious that is. And this particular moment of darkness is actually fulfilling words that God spoke through a man named Amos years ago. Years before this moment. God spoke these words through his prophet Amos in Amos chapter 8 verse 9. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. In that day, referring to a future day of judgment that it was experienced in Amos' day to a large measure, but also was looking forward to the time in which Jesus would be on the cross. That day, when God's judgment for sin would come. Judgment shows how serious sin is. And the king came to take on the full penalty for that sin. The full penalty. He came to pay 
all the penalty for all the sin. All of the judgment the king took on for all of our sin. Not some, not much, not most, but he came to take all. All of the judgment a holy and righteous God would have for our sin. And not just some, and not just much, and not just most of our sin, but all of our sin. That's how serious this is. And darkness conveys to us the serious nature of what Christ experienced on the cross. And that leads us to the second point, is that Christ experienced what it meant to be forsaken. What it meant to be forsaken. So it was the suffering that he endured in the darkness. It conveys to us how serious Good Friday is. In our place, condemned he stood. And he experienced overwhelming suffering. Three ways to think about that. First is, he experienced abandonment. He was abandoned, alone, ridiculed. The Jewish people earlier rather have a criminal released from prison than to have Jesus set free. The Roman soldiers earlier ridiculed him and mocked him and beat him. And the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders were standing there mocking him Telling him, oh, come on down from the cross if you can. And his friends, his closest friends, they were gone. They ran. He was alone. Abandoned. Naked. Broken. Bloody. Lifted high on a cross. Not only did he experience Abandonment, but he experienced anguish. Deep anguish. The sheer physical and emotional toll of these hours, plus the infinite weight of God's judgment for sin, took on an overwhelming emotional toll. In anguish, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And those were direct, those were words that were directly quoted from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1 says this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. David, King David was the author of that psalm. And in his day, in that particular moment, he was suffering the sins of others. And God seemed very far. Sure, King David had times in which he suffered the sin of his own, his own sin and its consequences. But in Psalm 22, it was the sin of others that was weighing him down and God seemed far. Imagine that anguish. Physically empty. Emotionally empty. Anguish. Crying out. Now, in what way was Jesus forsaken on the cross? Now this 
This certainly is a mystery for us in many ways because really it's ultimately a a mystery about the Trinity and a mystery about Jesus' incarnation, God in the flesh, his person, who he is. The mystery of the cross is also for us a mystery of the incarnation because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he doesn't ever stop being that. He's always fully God. And in, in the incarnation, he takes on our humanity, so he doesn't stop that either. He doesn't stop being fully God and fully man. And so that means for us, whatever happened incredibly and most mysteriously on the cross, there are two things that it still holds up. One, the Trinity remains intact. The Son is eternally one with the Father and the Spirit. And yet the other side is the wrath of God, the judgment of God for our sin is satisfied. This is not a breakup of the band. This isn't a disruption of the Trinity. Rather, I would argue the opposite. It is a demonstration, a displaying of the Trinity. The Father so loved the world that he sent his Son. The Son so loved the Father that he freely gave up his life. And the Spirit so loved the unity of God that he sustained the Son till the very last breath. And in so doing, in that experience, as mysterious as it is for us, still yet satisfies God's judgment for our sin. In our place, condemned he stood. He experienced abandonment for us. He experienced anguish we could not bear for us. And he experienced suffering beyond compare. The suffering Jesus experienced fulfilled a great promise of the kind of king who would come to rescue his people. That promise you can find in Isaiah 53. You can read the whole of that chapter. I just want us to consider one verse. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. The seriousness of the cross is seen in the darkness of the day and in the king forsaken. And it leads ultimately then to the third thing we see in our passage, his death. His death. And this death, however, this death brings salvation. This death brings victory. Victory through what looks like defeat. In our passage, we see a crowd of people notice that Jesus is coming to the end of his life and, and he's crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And their response, their thought process in that moment is, oh, he's about to die and suffering and death. Those are, those are signs of losing. They're not signs of victory. And because they're signs of losing, maybe he's calling on Elijah to come and get him. And you might be thinking, why, is it, why, why did they think that? Why did they think he would be calling on Elijah to come get him? And, and why, what's the motive behind that? Well, the motive is 
suffering and death are not in the categories of what brings victory, at least not from a human perspective. And Elijah, Elijah had one of those like overwhelmingly awesome like moments of like, I'm not dying. I'm, I'm going off into glory in the most glorious way. A chariot of fire came and picked him up. And, and I'm, I'm imagining sort of like, you know, this like heavy metal guitar rift as he like rocks out into glory on this chariot of fire. And, and it's this like victorious moment where he doesn't taste death. And so they're hoping that, that that's what's going to happen for Jesus because otherwise he's going to lose. Because suffering and death, that equals losing. But not according to God. Because it's through that suffering and death that comes our victory. Our victory over the darkness. Our victory over being forsaken because of our sin. Our victory over our own death. Death is defeated in the death of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, puts it this way. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. To be cursed is to be separated from God. The consequence of sin is this separation from God. And Christ came to take on that curse, to overcome that curse, to defeat that curse. And even in the moment in which it looked like that curse won, it was actually losing. Christ overcame the curse brought on by our sin. And how do we know That that curse, that separation from God has been broken? Well, besides hopefully you tuning in on Easter Sunday for more, uh, we get a hint of that, a, a, a beacon of that in our passage. Look back at Mark 15, 58. Jesus gives up his last breath. He dies. And then this happens. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain in the temple served as a barrier. It was a constant reminder that your access with God was still filtered. There was a barrier between this sort of like come and go sort of access with God. There was a separation and the curtain represented that separation and the curtain being torn from top to bottom says that separation is no more through the death of Christ. The curse is broken through the darkest day. The greatest news comes forth that in Christ, you now have access with God. You are no longer separated by your sin. Romans 5.8 summarizes this, summarizes this for us well. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Why did the son endure 
the darkness and the forsaken and the, and the anguish and the suffering and the death. Why did he endure it? Because he was displaying the love of God. That he would die in our place as an overflow of the love of God. Good Friday is a dark day. A dark day full of abandonment, anguish, suffering, but it is also a day of salvation. The brightness of God's love was on full display during the darkest of days. And the closing words of our passage from Mark 15 are fitting for us now. Truly, this man was the son of God. A Roman centurion recognized in the suffering and death of Jesus, this is the king. Perhaps one day we will learn if that recognition was one of faith. Seen in the death of the king, our only hope of life. For in his death, The king paid it all. And this means life for those who trust in the king. Do you trust in the king? There's no more significant question that you will ever be faced with in all of your life than do you trust in King Jesus. Let's pray. God, we pray that in this moment you would do a work in our hearts for any who have been listening, following along, wrestling with this truth that are far from you, that you would do that drawing near work, bringing new life. Now, for those of us who have trusted in the King, God, I pray that our faith would be inflamed and invigorated that we would have hearts that rest assured in our King who took on darkness, who took on suffering, who took on death so that we would have life. Oh God, do that work in our hearts. We pray in Christ's name. As you continue on in your worship guide and as you respond singing, Jesus paid it all. Sing that in response. Sing that with great joy. Sing that loudly in your living room, but also sing it as a prayer. Help plead your heart out before God to to do a heart-assuring work in you. And then join us on Easter Sunday for more as we consider the return of the King. Be well, Trinity family. We'll see you again on Sunday.